He came here to do three things. Drink beer, talk sports, and drink some more beer. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Just a little bit, you're going to hear from uh, Joe Hayden on the NFL Network today. Defending both Le'Veon Bell and Mike Tomlin. And a little news on Bell, too. Not much, but a little news on Bell and his situation. Tim Ben's in for Adam Crowley, and I posed the question before. Uh, did you take anything positive out of the AFC Championship game? Did you try to take anything positive? Because I did, and I failed. Uh, what I tried to do was watch that game from a perspective of an angst-addled Steeler fan trying to make himself feel better, which is what I was, and I failed miserably. Because I saw the Jaguars do to the Patriots things that I knew that the Steelers couldn't do on defense if they had been in that situation. I still walked away from that game thinking that with Tom Brady's shredded thumb and all, he would have shredded the Steelers' defense just like he did last year, and the game probably would have gone the same way that it did in the AFC Championship game of a year ago. So, yes, the game was closer than I thought it would be. It certainly was more entertaining. But I didn't walk away saying, well, you know what? I could see how the Steelers could do that to the Patriots next year. No, because they don't have the personnel. You know, their defense statistically did a lot of similar things to what Jacksonville did, but personnel-wise, particularly when it comes to their linebackers and their ability to cover, Jacksonville's better. And the secondary, just you saw how sticky they were. As soon as somebody caught the ball, they were there to dislodge it. Okay, you know, maybe the one penalty that we talked about before with Gronk, yeah, that cost him. Also knocked Gronk out of the game, and they're right there to make the play. You know, Gronk got the ball jarred free in an earlier hit. Uh, who else? I think Cooks that happened to once. Then he dropped the next ball. I think one of the backs that happened to at one point. There was a Deion Lewis maybe coming out of the backfield. as a wheel route that wasn't exactly perfectly thrown by Brady, and didn't drop it in the bucket like he almost always does, and it kind of went off of uh, Lewis's hands or kind of got knocked away. This, even if the ball is about to be completed, everything by the Jaguars was contested for the first half. And I just never felt like the Steelers would be in that situation where they could keep the game as close as Jacksonville did or get the lead that then New England would have to frantically try to come up with and, ca- and catch up to. I just, so I didn't walk away feeling better about that. I certainly didn't feel walk, walk away and feel better at the end when I saw the Patriots win the game, and just the realization there's going to be Philadelphia and New England in the Super Bowl eventually. Oh, it's, God. How do you even swallow that if you're a Pittsburgh fan? So tell me, I mean, if you, and, and then there's the realization too, and we talked about this. It's not just that the Steelers are second best to the Patriots anymore, they're an also ran. They were an also ran in the AFC this year. You can't just say, oh, well, they're second best to the Patriots and there's some glory in that, or there's some, maybe not glory, but you can. Pat yourself on the back for that. Oh, you know what? You know, those Utah Jazz teams were really good. They just didn't get over against Jordan. Oh, those Knicks teams were really good. They just didn't get over against Jordan. There's a lot of good Laker teams that never got over against the Celtics. They were great, too. So you can feel good about yourself in that context. And at least you've got the championships eventually along the way to prove that you were a good team like the Steelers do, unlike those other analogies I gave you. At least you got some hardware. But now you got to catch up to the Jags, too. Quarterback aside, and the quarterback was pretty too, pretty good the last two games, you got to catch up to Jacksonville since they're not a fluke, since it wasn't just about the Jaguars being mad that the Steelers looked ahead to New England. I think that helped. 
But there's obviously a lot more there to Jacksonville than just being motivated by the Steelers. So what do you think? Anything positive to come out of that? I, I couldn't find much of anything, and I really don't have anything positive to say about the Super Bowl. 412-922-2874. Let's go to Todd in South Carolina. Hi, Todd. Hey, as a Steeler fan, rooting for a team in this Super Bowl, it's like the last presidential elections. to rooting for the lesser of two evils. I'd argue maybe the last four presidential elections, but sure, I see the point. You're 100% accurate. No one's going to win on Monday. <laughs> Just like when we woke up on that fateful Wednesday morning, nobody was going to be happy with the winner. Nobody's going to be happy with this winner. Now, that's, that's more the case just here. I mean, I think if you got outside of western Pennsylvania and you polled football fans, across the board, you're going to have everybody rooting for Philadelphia and just not caring. The obnoxiousness of Philadelphia, the stink doesn't wash much beyond the Ohio River. And, you know, Boston, New York, other fans of the Northeast, other big cities like Chicago— they know they're just as obnoxious as Philly, or if not close to it. So it's easy for them to root against the Patriots, Boston aside, of course. But everybody else is going to be Team Green. Everybody else is going to be Team Green on Sunday. Here, too, I think for the most part, we'll swallow hard, and we will be, too. But it's going to be harder here. You know, I heard I heard in advance today that... There's a school of thought, you've got to be happy that New England's in it because it gives you somebody else to root against. Like, you can't root for the Eagles. How do you come up with an opinion about the Atlanta Falcons? So long as the Patriots are there, there's interest because you want to see them lose. Yeah, I want to see them lose. I don't think Nick Foles is going to do it. I think the Patriots are going to win. I think we have to wake up on that Monday morning and say, they got as many as us now, and they've been a couple times more often. And that's going to be a bitter, bitter pill for us to swallow. And there was a gap there, you remember, between when the Niners won five and the Steelers eventually got their fifth. We didn't feel so good. We couldn't puff our chest out all that much. At least in this scenario right now where we stand, if the Eagles win, you can still say we got six. You could at least say that. Okay, Philadelphia stopped them from getting there, and it sucks that they were complicit in it. But I'll take that over the result. Again, 412-922-2874. You can tweet me as well, at Tim Benz, PGH. Sitting in for Adam Crowley today, going up until 7 o'clock. Matt Williamson's going to join us in about 20 minutes. Also, before the top of the hour, what are we going to do? Oh, I got. Oh, we got the Neil Huntington thing. we got to get to that. And Frank Coonley today, too. Yeah, we got to get to some pirate stuff at some point. Uh, before we do the Rich Eisen, Joe Hayden stuff, let's go. Let's go to Devin in Pittsburgh. He wants to chime in on this. We got a couple minutes. Go ahead, Devin. Hey, man, how are you, man? Good. What's going on, Devin? I just, uh, I'm so sick right now. Uh, the Patriots win with lesser talent than we have, and it's just all about execution. For a long time, I've been uh, an ardent supporter of Tomlin, but I don't know anymore. After the clown show I've seen running around on defense, it just, I don't know, man. How? Why can't they execute? I just don't understand. It's a paradox because everything about Mike Tomlin is a paradox. He feels like right now the coach that you would feel dumb to fire, but then at the same right. time, if he doesn't get another Super Bowl, you walk away saying, boy, were we dumb to keep him. And the, <laughs> and, and the retrospect is going to be they would have done more with somebody else if they had seen Coach X 
along the way at the time. But we don't know who Coach X is. Like, I just want some discipline, man. Uh, I, I hear you, but here's the thing, Devin. All right, Devin, take Belichick aside. Move, move Belichick and Brady aside, right? So we're going to take them out of the equation. Who are the other coaches that you think right now are in the same breath as Tomlin? I have no idea. I mean, well, I'll give you a couple, like Sean Payton. You know, okay, Doug Peterson. You want to say Doug Peterson? Doug Peterson. You want to say um, Mike Zimmer? Mike Zimmer. Just because the Steelers fire their guy, those teams aren't giving him to us. They're not going to give their guy to us, right? I don't want him fired. I just want execution, man. Oh, I know. I I, I want to see discipline. Is what I want to see. I want to see organization. I want to see. I want to see a quieter 2018. And thanks for the call, Devin. It's sort of like the parallel track argument to this is that what you heard from uh, Martavis Bryant, what you heard from Vince Williams, some of the other guys in the locker room on locker cleanout day. Because I wrote a column for the Trib about this. Do they need a choir 2018? I say yes, they do. Not as many, look, as a media guy, as a guy who pumps out four columns a week for the Trib, ah, am I grateful. From that standpoint, Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, don't change a thing. Like the media guy in me loves this. The fan in me, Went to bed after I saw the Titans lose to the Patriots and saw Lev Bell's tweet, and I'm saying, what are you doing? The fan in me doesn't want to see the offensive coordinator stumbling out of Tequila Cowboy. The fan in me doesn't want to see A.B. throwing the water cooler. The fan in me doesn't want to see the anthem fiasco. The fan in me doesn't want to see Lev Bell complaining about carries and complaining about his contract during the season and just as the regular season ends. So I do think they need a more quiet 2018. But sort of to this guy's point, for when you come up with the argument of why Tomlin should be out, why Tomlin should be fired, no, he didn't say that, but the discussion gets that point. Can't the minority owners, the limited partners, saying that they might want Tomlin out? You come up with all these arguments as to why, and then you counter them and say this is why he shouldn't. And it's the same sort of thing with the, with the whole locker room Twittersphere. All the news distractions, all the headlines they created. The counter is, well, they were thirteen and three with it, so why change? Uh, yeah, they were thirteen and three with it, but couldn't have been easier along the way. Mike Tomlin's got to have a great legacy as a coach, but wouldn't it be easier to talk about that legacy if he didn't have so many bad losses to bad teams and early exits against the Jaguars in the playoffs and Tim Tebow? Wouldn't it be easier if he just beat the Patriots once in the postseason? You know, that, that sort of sense of wanting, it, it shouldn't be that way. But there's this constant sense of, it was a, this is what it was with Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Great resume, but that constant sense of wanting. The difference being, well, Tomlin got to two Super Bowls and won one, as opposed to Reid. 412-922-2874. Here's what Joe Hayden had to say about... Actually, you know what? I'm going to switch these around, Joe. Let me put this one up here because we're, we're talking about Tomlin. Here's Rich Eisen with Joe Hayden on this very topic. Uh, and in terms of the business part, uh, it is part and parcel of the NFL landscape that if you lose playoff games, it doesn't matter how many wins you've had, like, say, 048 over the last four years as Mike Tomlin has had as the coach there. Do you think that he's the right guy for this job? You're laughing. I know. Look, I have to. I I I feel the same way of what your laughter is saying. But I mean, I'm asking the question. I guess what a lot of people are wondering about Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. I would think that like 28 other other teams would love to have him as their head coach. Uh, I think he's the one of the. He's he's my favorite coach I've ever played for. Um, 
the team loves him. We get him. Um, we definitely, I, I think that he's far from far from the problem while, uh, on our team. Okay, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to unpack in that little soundbite there from Joe Hayden. Um, the laughter that Rich Eisen was talking about. That's exactly what I was discussing with the previous caller. If the Steelers, if their limited partners had their way and got Mike Tomlin out, there would be other coaches that would be fired by their current clubs right now, even if they weren't being considered as on the hook, if Mike Tomlin was available. Other teams would fire their current coach to go get Tomlin. They wouldn't. You might not believe that right now where you're sitting because you're mad that they haven't gotten to a Super Bowl since 2010. There's a lot of teams that haven't been there in that time, plus a few decades, that would go out and get somebody like Tomlin because at least he's been there and done that twice. And the shortcomings that you see in him as a coach, everybody else sees as just stuff you brush under the rug because he's better than the guy they currently got and they know it. So that's where the laughter element came from there. Okay, now where Hayden said, we all get along with him, he's our guy, we like him, the players liking the coach shouldn't be that important. I don't know how many players in New England really like Bill Belichick. They like his coaching, they like his results, and they play for him. But if Belichick was as liked by his players as Tomlin is by his, would Belichick be as effective? Probably not. And the the key component to that little bite there from Hayden was he's not the problem. Like, you heard him say that. Mike Tomlin's not the problem. Okay, Tomlin's not the problem, but you could say that the culture that he allows to have in that locker room is. Because you don't see Patriots tweeting out before the Titans game, we're looking forward to a rematch with the Steelers, and this time the refs won't have to bail us out. You don't see tweets like that. You don't see, I don't know, uh, Rex Burkhead talking about his contract a week before the playoffs begin. You just don't see stuff like that. Because Belichick keeps a lid on it. So maybe it's not Tomlin that's the problem, but the culture that's allowed to permeate that makes 13-3 and as hard as it was to get to for the Steelers, that is a bigger deal. All right, here's what Joe Hayden had to say about Lev Bell, too. We have uh, Steeler teammate Joe Hayden with us here in studio. Is there bad blood between Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers, best you can tell? Uh, I really don't think so. Um, I think uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of things that's going on. I think Le'Veon just understands his worth, understands his wealth, understands how good of a player he is. And uh, everybody in that locker room, we know how good he is. He just wants to figure out what, what his value is. He understands the, the, the market for running backs are going down, and he doesn't feel like he should be put in that category. Okay, so uh, is his attitude, for the lack of a better phrase, does that permeate the locker room? Do you guys feel that and then sense it and it affects what goes down on the field? With not at all. Not at all. Okay. I mean, Le'Veon, he, he puts in work at practice. He works hard, just works, works as hard as anybody on the team. And then you see on every week, what, what his production talks about. You can't make that stuff up. So um, he's, not a, he's not a problem in the locker room. Um, everybody loves him. It's just at the end of the day, we, we understand what it is, too. Like Le'Veon, we know how important you are to the team. And then you want to get your money. Um, and uh, we just know how the business part works out. Okay. Again, a lot to unpack there. All right. So his discussion about Le'Veon, how much he impacts the team, there is a growing sentiment the further we get away from the season, the further we get into Le'Veon Bell 2.0 contract demands, 
the more you hear is he's not worth it. Just let somebody else take him, give him a huge, massive price tag, and uh, don't bother franchising him. Use that money to replenish the inside linebacker spot, find a tight end, something like that. You're hearing that more and more. There are more and more media voices out there saying the Steelers are better off just letting Lev Bell go. I'm not of that opinion. You know, even with Antonio Brown having another great season, even with the emergence of Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis finding his rudder eventually, Le'Veon Bell was still a huge component of that passing game. And the Steelers' offense sputtering early in the year was because... Lev Bell wasn't involved in the passing game effectively, more so than even him running the football. I don't know how you replicate that, duplicate that, and I don't know that Ben Roethlisberger in year one or new offensive coordinator Randy Fickner in year one trusts a new running back to do the things in the pass game that Lev Bell did. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't throw that pass to some rookie running back that he threw to Lev Bell in the playoff game against Jacksonville. And if he does, running back rookie X, I don't think catches it. So I'm still a bigger fan of Le'Veon Bell and what he brings to the team X and O-wise than I am an opponent of what he brings distraction-wise. So I would bring him back for one more year on the franchise tag. He ain't retiring. He's not retiring. Please. There's no way he leaves $14.5 million on the table. If you want, do the non-exclusive tag this time and let somebody give you two first-round draft choices for him. It ain't going to happen, but put it out there and see if somebody's dumb enough to do it. If they do it, then you're in great shape. You can get a first-round running back, you can get a first-round inside linebacker, and you got lots of room to play with to bring in some other free agents that you otherwise would have had to spend to make Le'Veon the franchise guy at 14.5. 412-922-2874. You can also tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. And as you heard today earlier, uh, Steeler Wire had it actually that they were during that interview with Joe Hayden across the ticker on the bottom on the NFL network that uh Le'Veon Bell will get tagged again before there's extension talks for him. And if that's the case, I think it's a little inverted. We'll talk to Matt Williamson about that when we come back. Tim Benz in for Adam today here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Tim Benson for Crowley today. Adam is off, uh, no doubt, getting ready for TCU and West Virginia and getting ready to spew anti-Jamie Dixon propaganda. We all know Adam likes that. Uh, Joining me right now, as he always does at this time, on a Monday, when he's on with Adam, it is Matt Williamson. You know Matt, of course, from SNR, also former ESPN scout. And uh, Matt, I understand you got something new that you're working with these days. Is that right, as the draft approaches now? Yeah, it's a pretty cool deal. I mean, I think some people are familiar with John Ledger. He's on the air here a fair amount. But he and a couple other, what I guess I'd call young upcoming bucks, have a site, NDT Scouting, where it's all college draft. They're all at the Senior Bowl right now. And I'm kind of like their pro personnel director. So, you know, one of their dudes did a a mock draft, and I kind of looked at it from the NFL perspective, saying, boy, that's a great fit with the Bucs, or I don't think the Raiders need that. You know, they they know the players, I know the teams. So with that being said, then, where are you looking in terms of inside linebacker? Because I think that's where the Steelers could use the most help in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm a little further along with my draft prep than I would be because of this, but I've only been there three days or something. Um, and, And it looks to me... 
that the end of round one should have, you know, a couple. It might work out well. You know, there, there, there might be um, three or four linebackers that are projected to go in that neighborhood that could fit in well with what the Steelers are after. Is the running back class deep enough that they could ever consider not keeping Le'Veon Bell and spend, say, for instance, a first-round pick on an inside linebacker, maybe attempt to trade to get in the first round for a running back, or use a second-round pick deep in the second round on another really good running back? Yes, but it's not what I would do. It's a very, very deep running back class. So I think that you should take advantage of that. And I think the move is still very obvious. I think you franchise Bell, and you use a second or third round pick on a running back, and probably at the end of the year you send Bell on his way. And part of that's because I don't trust Connor. You know, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Even if you were to extend Bell long-term, as much wear and tear as he's had and Connor's inability to stay on the field, you might need one anyway. Tim Benz with you in for Adam Crowley with Matt Williamson here for another couple minutes. NFL Network reporting that Le'Veon Bell will not get any sort of long-term contract negotiations with the Steelers until he is put under the franchise tag again. That struck me as interesting, if not odd. Almost like, why would you bother doing the extension talks at that point if you're just going to franchise him anyway and tick him off why, why not use this time here to try to get something long-term done if you wanted it maybe the Steelers just don't want to do anything long-term is that an indication of this that was my original thought I mean I just heard this now for the first time and my first thought was well maybe they don't really want to lock him up long-term maybe they want to do just what I said keep him around one more year run him into the ground send him on his way which is what I'd be leaning towards anyway and it does seem odd. You know, the way you just presented it there, why not use this month or whatever to talk to your own while you still can, unless you just don't want to. And they already did that last year. It was fruitless. It didn't quite work out. And we've talked about this before. You know, Washington had this problem with Kirk Cousins. Negotiating with guys that are franchise tag players is really hard because if I'm Bell's agent – I'm coming in there. How, how much is he guaranteed if he's franchised today? It's like $13 million or something, right? Uh, 14.5, I believe. 14.5. And if you're going to do it a second year, you got to give him another 10% on top of oh, that. I, I'm sorry. It's going to be 14.5 this year is what I meant. This one will be 14.5 roughly. Okay, okay. So, But if you're going to do it a third year, I meant. I, I misspoke there. I mean, so his agent's going to come in saying, hey, we want $30 million guaranteed just to start talking because you're going to give that to us anyways if you franchise in the next two years. And I'm not sure I'm buying at that price. I was thinking the same thing. It's We look at this so strictly from a Pittsburgh perspective as if it's just Le'Veon and the Steelers talking, and maybe for franchise tag terms it kind of is for this year. But after next year, are there teams out there that would be willing to spend as if this was a running back who was, you know, one year in the league and didn't have five to six years of tread off the tires. Like, would Are there teams out there that are willing to meet Lev's price even if he goes through another 400-touch season this year with Pittsburgh? Maybe. I mean, if he's still one of the best two or three backs in the league, do you think he still will be, though? You know, I mean, like, I, I still think he's wonderful. I think he's great. You have to bring him back because the nature of this team is to win right now and considering where the quarterback is and all those things. But I, I've been saying this about him, too, that as great as he was this year, and I still think he was the best back in the league, 
I thought he was at his very best right before his injury a year ago, you know, late last year. And I didn't think that he was as good in 2017 as he was in 2016. And because he's had such a workload, that makes me wonder if 10 years from now we look at Lev Bell's career and maybe he's going to the Hall of Fame or whatever, and we say he was probably at the height of his powers in 2016 and then there was a gradual decline. Because he's human and he's had an immense workload. You know where I think he would wind up? And, you know, the logical destination right now for me projecting, if he were to stay healthy and have a season akin to this one, would be like Kansas City, who would be in the second year then in all likelihood of the Pat Mahomes era, and they would have themselves now a chance to get a big-ticket franchise running back that they could afford because they would still have a quarterback under a rookie contract. Um, that's where I think a team, and there will be other teams in this next year or two, as you well know, Matt, with all the uh, quarterback movement that's going to take place and all the draftable quarterbacks high in this year's class after this upcoming season, uh, to add a component with all these teams that would have young, affordable contracts as starters, there would be numerous destinations, but that's the kind of makeup I look for a team that would be able to and would want to spend money on Bell beyond what the franchise tag numbers would be for a three- to four-year contract at that point. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, obviously Cleveland comes to mind. I mean, the only knock on me, on you on your point with Kansas City is they just don't have a lot of money right now, but maybe two years from now they would, especially after trading out Smith. But, yeah, that makes perfect sense of we invested heavily in – Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Allen, Lamar Jackson, you know, the, the quarterbacks in this past year, Mahomes, whomever. And we have some pieces in place, but boy, Bell would make his transition to the NFL a lot easier. Much like Gurley did with Goff this year. Right, exactly. That's sort of the yeah. brand I was thinking of there. Matt Williamson, our guest, as always, here on the Crowley Show at this time. Okay, so Matt, let's talk about yesterday's games. Uh, let's get to the easy one first, then we'll dive into the AFC game. Of the four scenarios you could have projected, a close Eagles win, close Vikings win, blowout Vikings win, I never saw a blowout Eagles win coming. How about you? Yeah, that would have been my lowest pick, lowest draft pick of those four for sure. I, I had the Vikings winning close. I thought it was going to be a defensive struggle. I mean, the way Nick Foles played, I just didn't see coming. How often have we talked about the Patriots and the Steelers trying to overcome injury to get to the Super Bowl, and maybe lost in that is what the Eagles have done beyond just Carson Wentz. I mean, they lost Peters, they lost their kicker. They've overcome some adversity beyond just the loss of Wentz, and that's the loss of Carson Wentz, who could have been the league MVP, oh, by the way. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. And really strong coaching performance. Um, I, I think it's a testament, you know, that a great front seven, a great defensive line makes you really, really hard to play with, play against this time of year. But Foles, Foles looked more like Wentz than he's ever looked like, you know, the, the performance he looked at yesterday was much more Wentz-like than anything Foles has ever put out in his whole life. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by it. Like, he might turn into a pumpkin on the Super Bowl and they might get killed, but if he plays like that, they're really hard to beat. I mean, the thing about it is usually as the down goes on, Foles struggles. Oh, he didn't at all. He extended plays. You know, he, he was the second reaction quarterback. That's not who he is at all. It was unbelievable. I'm on board with the notion that they will get killed in the Super Bowl. But then again, I thought that would be the case in the AFC Championship game for many of the same reasons, that the quarterback play would be so lopsided in favor of Tom Brady that it'll be a blowout. 
Brady played well, especially late, given the thumb injury, but Bortles hung in there almost throw for throw until midway through the second half, and then things got tilted. I see the same thing happening this time, Matt, but a little bit sooner, and I think the Patriots just win easily in this one. Probably. I haven't given it a whole lot of thought, but I do think it's important that Philadelphia is really good on both lines of scrimmage. Um, and they Brady will get hit. And much like Jacksonville, and, and the Steelers saw this in a big way, if the Jags and Eagles, they almost have to get up early. You know, I mean, for, Jack, for that to be a game yesterday in Foxborough, Jacksonville had to get the early lead, and wow, did they. And for them to come into Pittsburgh and do what they did, they had to get the early lead, and wow, did they. You know, so, uh, you know, there's, just a, there's much more of a formula with how the Eagles have to play, how the Jags have to play, and then the Patriots can do it any way you want. So, I mean, in the end, they stick with what they did. They, they make some halftime adjustments. Even if they're down, we saw this in the Super Bowl, they're not going away. When I was watching the AFC Championship game yesterday, Matt, what struck me more than anything, beyond the pass rush or the pressure that was executed by the front of the Jaguars, man, their linebackers can run and hit. Man, their secondary can run and hit. And it just in watching that game... We talk so much about pressuring to get to Brady. It felt like that was the different element of what the Jaguars defense had than what the Steelers defense normally has against the Patriots. What did you think? Yeah, I can't argue that at all. I mean, and and there's really no defense like it in the NFL right now. I mean, Jacksonville, just in terms of athleticism, speed, lack of holes, you know, to attack, they're loaded, and it really shows. And you're right. I mean, you watch Miles Jack and Telvin Smith chase people down the flats. It's like a bunch of Shazirs out there. Here's my big thing with the Steelers moving forward on defense, and I want to see if you agree with this or not. I know we touched on it in our final edition of uh, Countdown to Kickoff before the season wrapped, out, wrapped up at the South Park Clubhouse, but they just got to figure out what they want to do in the front seven. They have to. they they got to figure out what they're going to become. If the outside linebacking position is going to be so much about drop with the outside linebackers, that they can't keep a James Harrison on the team, and T.J. Watt is doing that as much as he's rushing the passer, well, then become a more traditional four-man front with true outside pass rushers on the outside of what would be a considered base 4-3 and get guys like what Jacksonville has who are just pure coverage run-and-hit linebackers. you got to commit to it, and I think they're stuck in between right now. Yeah, and what's funny is last Wednesday I don't know that I agreed with you as much as I do today. You know, like, it, it really dawned on me. It's something I want to think about from a Steeler perspective was watching the Eagles. Like, uh, to, just to take what you said a, a step further, if you think about the Steelers' defensive linemen, the last couple of years, injury or not, they've worn down when it mattered most, and they got pushed around the line of scrimmage. And that includes Cam Hayward, who's great. But you look at the Eagles, and they go – eight, nine deep, it's almost like Alabama, of 260, 270, up to 310-pound guys. And they don't wear down. You know, you ask, even with Alu-Alu here, you ask those those four main guys to play so many physical snaps throughout the course of the year that I wonder if it's time to think about just the whole defensive front. You know, the the, the second level that we didn't even really talk about, but that's that, that needs a lot of work. I mean, since this is your injury, Whoever you have playing on the second level, that has to be their first-round pick or needs upgraded. But I wonder if it wouldn't hurt them to keep one more prominent guy in their defensive front, however you want to call it, their front three, their front five, or what you're saying, maybe a front four, 
so that you can get more bodies throughout the year, throughout the course of the game, because if you have a rotation of defensive linemen, man, you're hard to play against. Finally, Matt, I mentioned this at the outset of the show. Did you walk away from that game pretty much feeling like a Steeler voodoo doll? Basically little pinpricks here and there throughout the course of three hours of water torture. Brady runs the quarterback sneak and executes it. Harrison gets the sack. Finally saw a few flags against Jacksonville DBs for pass interference. It's everything we've been fretting about and complaining about manifesting over a a three-and-a-half-hour stretch. And no flags for the Patriots, which went over well around here, too. (laughs) Ten yards of penalties versus 98 for Jacksonville. Yeah, and I retweeted somebody. I mean, over the last five games, the, the, the Patriots' penalty numbers are three against to one four. I mean, it's crazy. Um, that being said, but yes, it, it kind of did. Although one thing I thought that would happen that would even make Steelers fans and coaching staff look worse was I thought Belichick would just destroy their offense, and they didn't. I mean, the Jacksonville, Bortles, the game plan, they moved the football for the majority of the game, or at least half the game. Matt, thanks. Hey, how about another plug here for the new site? Yeah, it's NDT Scouting. Uh, just follow me at Williamson NFL, and I tweet a bunch of stuff about it and all that good stuff, and I'm busy doing a bunch of other things as well. Matt, it was great working with you all year on Wednesday nights. Look forward to doing it again next year. Yeah, I hope so. It was fun. We will let the South Park Clubhouse restock in the hot, boneless buffalo chicken wings, and we'll be ready to go in August. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Matt Williamson joining me, Tim Benson, for Adam Crowley today. When we come back, we switch gears to the Pirates. A little advice for the Pirates. Just stop with the PR campaign. I'll discuss next. That's coming up. Tim Benson for Adam Crowley today. Really interesting back-end arm with one of the best young closers in the game, and we've added some power and some young arms. We feel like we can be really interesting much sooner than most people anticipate, much like the Twins and Brewers did this year, uh, much like we did in 2013. Not a good answer. No! It's, It's an awful answer. It's a bogus answer. It's a BS answer. Tim Ben's with you. In for Adam today. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was High Heat with Mad Dog Russo and Neil Huntington on uh, Friday, I believe, of last week. Thursday of last week. As I wrote for the Trib, you know, if Pittsburgh really is trying to get the new Amazon headquarters, they should just offer Amazon the annual lease of PNC Park through autumn and winter every year. Use it how you want. Great view, charming ambiance, and Lord knows no one will ever need it in October or beyond. But Pirates management will disagree. They'll try to tell you that their ball club is going to play into baseball's October playoffs regularly, maybe even this year. I'll give you a moment to contain your laughter on that front as I catch you up to date on what happened today, or at least over the weekend. And my advice to the Pirates is basically this. Just stop trying with the sell job. Stop trying the spin job. Adam and I talked about this last week before I wrote my column, and eventually I kind of put these thoughts into print, too, and I stand by them. It's sort of like if you've ever known someone who's been through a divorce where infidelity is involved, right? I've heard this more than once, that when my spouse cheated on me, I was hurt. But when I found out that they lied about the cheating, that's when I got angry. And I think that's where pirate fans are. Don't you? Don't you feel the same way? Isn't that where pirate fans are right now? Like, I know you're running around on me. Just say it and we can be done with it. 
and just say it and then emotionally I can figure out how I want to do this. But if you keep perpetuating it, if you keep lying about it, and you keep trying to tell me something, you keep trying to tell me that the sky is blue when I can clearly see that it's gray, then I can't wrap my head around what I've been given in terms of emotional information. Because I'm just too mad that you're telling me something contrary to what I already know to process anything else. That's, that's what, where the pirates are with us right now, right? 412-922-287. I mean, agree or disagree on that front? Is it the actual moves they're making baseball-wise, or is it what they're doing to you in terms of the PR campaign? 412-922-2874. And the biggest issue right now is, boy, Bob Nutting sure has some willing foot soldiers, doesn't he? I mean, I know these guys are doing their jobs, but I think that Neil Huntington is complicit in this. Sure, would he like to have a bigger budget? Yes, he would like to have a bigger budget. But he kind of likes working with this, right? He likes to be known as the guy who can build a better diorama with fewer Legos. Like, he likes to look like the smart king class who can do that. You see Greg Brown's Twitter storm this week defending the team. Or uh, Frank Conley on uh, 1020 today. Oh, my God. Did you hear that? I was, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, they played it back on their flagship station. And uh, I thought they had edited the soundbite together. Or, like, they just skipped parts of the interview. But it was it was like a six-minute filibuster. He just didn't like the host talk. He just went on this diatribe about defending the hill for Bob Nutting. And, you know, they're saying what you got to say. And then there's really enjoying it. And I think people beyond Bob Nutting really like advancing the message more than they should. Like, there, there seems, and I don't know, maybe, maybe they've been ordered to do this. Maybe they've been said by Nutting, I'm not fighting this fight for me. You're fighting this fight for me. So go do it. Like we do this bit on the Channel 2 Sports Showdown, this Armina Stone smooth move of the week. Where you come up with somebody you came up with. I, I was going to go with Greg Brown because he made himself the play-by-play man for life with this Twitter storm defending Bob Nutting over the weekend. I mean, he defended Nutting like he was his own father. So he's set for good. And Frank Cooley's right up there. Now, I ended up going with John Burnett because John Burnett had just learned that night what GOAT meant in new Twitter terms, like greatest of all time. He was flabbergasted that Bob Pompiani would refer to Jack Nicholas as the GOAT of golf and like, oh, what did Jack Nicholas do? What did he do wrong? Burnett's not quite on Twitter yet. We'll get him there. As soon as Twitter is out and everybody's off of it, we'll get Burnett on it. But here, just listen to a couple other sound bites from Neil Huntington from that high heat interview. This, this is him actually trying to justify what the Pirates have done in the past by not uh, giving away more tradable assets or spending more money. He's trying to justify their actions of the past by what they're doing now with McCutcheon and Cole. And I get the criticism that we should have done more, uh, but our belief is, is we get there as frequently and as consistently as possible. We give ourselves the best chance to be that team like Kansas City that wins it. There's a lot of really good teams that push their chips into the center of the table in small and mid-market that didn't make it that are now watching those really good players help the teams they trade to them win and win postseason games. Uh, okay, now, now how about this one, too? This is Huntington on the 2018 season itself. As we look at our next competitive team, our goal is to have it be 18. We've got a group of players who are going to show up every day to compete and win every single game that they play, and they are fired up about this opportunity. 
Um, but a lot of those players wouldn't be here had we pushed all of our chips in in 13, 14, or 15, or even 16 as we were trying to make another run, or 17. Now, critically thinking people have to be able to see through this, right? You know, you're talking about how you see yourself as potentially contending, but then you give away a 27-year-old first-round draft choice pitcher who's only making $6.7 million. By the way, Doug Drabeck won the Cy Young Award at 27. And you're giving away a guy who's 31 and was your best offensive player last year. And most teams, their best offensive player, uh, especially one that used to be an MVP and is a multi-time All-Star, is going to make more than $14.5 million. Well, that's what McCutcheon is. And oh, by the way, Roberto Clemente won the MVP at 31. Willie Stargell was second when he was 31. And they won one later. He won one later. Excuse me. But Huntington just turns more double talk than his infield turns double plays. Again, think about that. Teams get themselves in a lot of trouble if they continue holding on to some hope that may or may not be real and fail to make the moves that they need to make to restock, replenish, and refresh. That's what we feel that we need to do in these trades, or we needed to do in these trades. That was from Neil on KDKFM. But in the same interview, he balked at the notion that the team was going through a rebuild. Rebuild implies you're looking for five years out, and you're going to punt on the current season. We're not rebuilding. So restock, replenish, and refresh are totally different from rebuild. Got it? Come on, Neil. Huntington also admitted that the organizational projection models predict that the team will be worse than the 75-win team of 2016. And he said that not after the Cole trade when they ran those models, but after the McCutcheon trade when they ran those models. So they're trying to contend. They think in their models they've gotten closer to contending, but then they trade Kutch and they regress. <laughs> so what are you trying to say? So let's just go with the final analysis, that they're going to be worse based on their own projection models than the 75-win team of 2016. But in the same response, he tried to convince listeners that the team could still be the wildcard twins of the 86, or the wildcard twins of the 86 win Brewers of last year, like we just played for you. So tell me again what you were saying about hope that may or not, may not be real. Like you told us earlier that you got to trade Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole because you can't hold on to hope that your team is going to contend this year. But you're going to hold on to hope via projection models that you're going to be the twins, that you're going to be the Brewers. So what hope am I supposed to have for the Pirates? Hope that you assign to me? Or hope that I want to invest in guys that I've seen win at least before? And that's the rub that fans have. I'm supposed to trust you when you're BSing me about restocking and replenishing versus rebuilding, but I'm not supposed to trust the guys whose jerseys I have and who have won before. Those guys I don't trust, but you, you I'm supposed to trust. Doesn't work that way. Take your thoughts to the Pirates, too. 412-922-2874. You can tweet me, at Tim Benz, PGH. Specifically want to get into James Harrison and that angle of yesterday's game. We've talked about a big picture. We've talked about the Super Bowl big picture. We'll get into James Harrison specifically next when we come back. Tim Benz in for Adam.